Hi, everyone. Welcome to the January 7th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. Happy New Year. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. We were off for a couple of weeks, so we hope you enjoyed our special year in review and our look ahead to 2022. If you missed either one of them, you can find them on pbs12.org right now. Well, a lot of news has happened in the last two weeks, so let's get right to it. Topic one, the Marshall Fire burned down over 1,000 structures on December 30th in Louisville, Superior, and unincorporated Boulder County. President Biden visited the area on Friday, and the investigation into the cause of the fire continues. Meanwhile, the extent of damage done to a suburban area is leading many civic officials around Colorado to create new plans of how to handle this danger in years to come. We have a little bit of a different studio setup right now. Patty Calhoun from Westford, you join us in the studio. Of other folks joining us via Skype. Let's start with you, Patty. Um, so many angles to the story, uh, just a devastating fire, but also a whole lot of ramifications, as we know, as we're moving forward. As From what we've learned so far, what are some of the angles that have stood out to you? Well, one, you don't want to put out a year in review show a week early when because this is how the year is going to end horrible end to 2021 for Metro Denver. And so we are just hoping as we tape this that Biden is indeed coming and touring because he will be gone by the time it airs. Um, as I said, we had just taped our show. Westward had just done its year in review. And all of a sudden, we'll get to the shootings later, but then this fire news, which started breaking. You hear about the 100 miles an hour winds. You hear about the incredible conditions that had led to just that land basically being fuel and tinder. It had been, it has been so dry. And the horror with how quickly it happened is really extraordinary. And we're all still coming to grips with that. True, we don't know what happened. I mean, the early assumption that it was power lines was ruled out. Now the investigations are continuing, but there's no denying how quickly it happened. And also how incredible it was that as everyone was able to evacuate as well as they were able to. Uh, the other thing that's undeniable is the incredible outpouring of support for people. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure the Boulder Community Wildfire Fund you know, has collected m tens of millions of dollars. The GoFundMes, there are at least 400 the last time I looked. They are all collecting a lot. So people are being really generous, but we are gonna have to think about what happens when you build in areas that used to be plains or used to be foothills and don't have the protection against fire. Now, there's not a lot of protection you can have with 110 um, mile per hour winds, but even so, there are gonna to have to be new ways we start planning for growth. Mm -hmm. You know, on that point, Patty, I, uh, uh, that was one of the most, one of the scariest elements to me because when you look at that map of those homes, this was not some random forest. This was not houses in between, you know, a big uh, a prairie. That map could have been South Aurora, Highlands Ranch, Broomfield, uh, C-470 and Kipling just a, a week before. It was really scary. Let's get to our first uh, guest via Skype, Krista Kafer, Denver Post columnist, making her uh, return back to Colorado Inside Out. Krista, it's wonderful to have you here. A lot of different people are coming up with angles to this, so things that we should do quickly, and then things that were probably going to be policy decisions making a little bit later. From what you've seen so far, what are some of the things that uh, we need to be thinking about right now from this big, big story? Well, it's interesting. I just started the book, The Black Swan by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And, you know, how do you predict unpredictable events? How do you predict big, unpredictable events? The fact is, is that you really can't. I mean, that's, 
these sort of crazy things that happen, an entire suburb wiped out by fire, is something that generally doesn't happen. It's something that happens in, in forests. So what do we do now? We can only look back and say, okay, what, what can we learn from this? What can we go and do uh, as we go forward? And what kind of questions do we need to ask ourselves? It seems to me that in an increasingly dry climate, we need to determine about what kind of fuel do we have? How far apart should buildings be? Uh, what do we do with grass and, and other dry tinder trees over the winter, if anything? Um, the possibility in any any environment where you have a lot of people, you're going to have people who are negligent. You're going to have people who are who are potentially arsonists. So how do you figure that in? And I think you can ask yourself smart questions, but you certainly can't predict it. Um, big things that happen that are unpredictable are unpredictable by nature. Also join us, Alina Alvarez, uh, again, making a return back to the show. Alina, it's great to have you back on, for a reporter with Axios Denver. Alina, you've been tracking a lot of the different angles to this story, especially what officials have been saying. What do we need to know about the reaction that we've been hearing so far? You know, as Krista said, you can't predict a natural disaster. But, you know, as you alluded to, Dominic, there are many steps that you can take to prepare um, I think what's really important to know uh, as far as context goes about this fire is that, you know, the wildfire mitigation plan spanning the area in which the Marshall Fire erupted hadn't been updated in over a decade. Um, so now we have Boulder County officials as of yesterday reporting over $500 million worth of damage. And it begs the question whether, you know, that figure could be lower had up-to-date strategies been in place. Um, I think the bottom line is that Similar plans and plenty of other Colorado uh, localities could also be outdated, as was uh, the area where the Marshall Fire began. Um, and I think it's, you know, no doubt that every community needs to be prepared for a disaster like this, considering, you know, climate change is accelerating by the day. And we're seeing this, you know, whether it's high winds, uh, drought. Uh, extreme weathers of all, all different kinds. And so I think, you know, the reality is that many of us are unprepared for natural disasters, and it's important to make sure that our plans and strategies are up to date. Well, making her uh, premiere here on Colorado Inside Out, Bianca Emerson, CEO of Political Director. Bianca, it's wonderful to have you on the program. Thank you for joining us. It seems we've been talking about a lot of these different public policies. Both elected leaders now and future elected leaders and candidates will be talking about what we need to do. This will be a big topic of a conversation as you work with different both elected leaders and candidates. What do you think that we're going to hear talked about as we look back at this tragic fire? Well, I think the top of the um, the questions that's going to be the topic for future um, elections is going to be climate change. Um, we have to take into consideration the multi-year drought that we've experienced here in Colorado. Uh, since 1933, we've had this this drought that's been the driest from the periods of of June and December. And we also and I also think that we have to rethink development plans and build for wildfires like they do in areas that are impacted by hurricanes. Um, I just couldn't help but think of the lady that talked about how it took her three hours to get to her daughter's house when it's only 25 minutes away. She was evacuating. And you think about the stories that people are impacted by when it comes to hurricanes. They're sitting on the highways for six, five hours just trying to get to the neighboring town that's maybe about an hour to two hours away. So we have to really go back to the drawing drawing board, talk to our, our, our city commissioners and these developers so that we're building to make sure that we are no longer impacted by something like this in such a drastic way. 
clearly a story we'll be talking about for a long time. Another story we'll be talking about for a while, Rogel Aguilera Medeiros, the truck driver initially sentenced to 110 years in prison for vehicular manslaughter, saw his sentence commuted to 10 years by Governor Polis late last week. The presiding judge of the case, Bruce Jones, criticized the timing of the commutation, saying the governor did not respect the authority of the court since prosecutors were in the process of working on a reduced sentence and were scheduled to present its case later in January. Krista, we're going to start with you on this one. Uh, Governor Polis did seem to react quickly. It's the end of the year, so there's timing there. But, but to, to know that there's going to be a look at a review of the sentence in just a couple of weeks, uh, is that something that is going to extend the story politically for Governor Polis? So politicians acting politically during an election year, who could have predicted? <laughs> I think we could have all predicted that. And I think it's unfortunate. Obviously, 110 years is way too much for this uh, particular crime. It was it was an issue of negligence, not malfeasance. But people did die, and the the court had already recognized that this sentence was too long, and they were in the process of correcting that. And as they were in that process, you have uh, a sitting governor in an election year getting a lot of pressure from the press and others to change that to change that sentence. And he did change that sentence and short-circuited a process that we have in place, which I think is, is wrong. And the judge and the victim's relatives have every right to be really frustrated. Um, we need to figure out how to not do this going forward. Because uh, as I said, uh, you can always predict that politicians will act politically in an election year. Chris, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, who, who saw that coming? An uh, uh, elected leader uh, acting politically in election year. Elena, I imagine that other officials are now going to be looking at this issue. When, when you're examining this and probably its impact on other government officials about whether it's sentence reform or how this is going to move forward in the legislature or any other angles, what stands out to you? You know, I think something that stands out to me right now is the backlash that he's getting from reacting to the national uproar that resulted from the, you know, hundred plus year sentence. Um, I think politicians could probably learn a little bit from this and in, in the delicate dance that you have to do to take action and look like you are, you know, stepping up um, for your community, but also uh, as Krista said, you know, not falling into the trap where it's literally a calculated move to get elected again. Um, something that I think that I think was really interesting um, that I found out from the Denver Post reporting is that family members of these victims talked directly to Polis and asked him not to get involved. Uh, that was a straight up request. And now uh, they, you know, his move is backfiring, including among uh, victims' families as well as. Uh, you know, the judge that made the decision. Um, and it really comes down to his overreach and caving to political pressures. And I think, as we've all said, something that will be worth watching as this gubernatorial election takes shape this year um, is that opponents could be really quick to draw parallels between uh, Polis's heavy use of executive orders throughout the pandemic the last two years um, and this single-handed decision to, you know, interfere um, in the judicial process. So it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out politically for sure. Bianca, you work with a lot of different candidates and elected leaders, but when you're talking to candidates, is, is there a lesson here for future elected leaders or people who want to be elected leaders that we saw from the way Governor Polis made this decision? 
Well, I think probably the bigger issue is uh, us looking, taking a second look at some of these state statutes and how some un, how unfair some of these state statutes are. That's definitely going to be a political issue from here and on. Um, I think too, um, there was such a huge public outcry. We can maybe argue that this was democracy in process. You have 5 million people nationwide that signed this petition. Not only that, we had uh, threats from the truck drivers who are going to strike. You have this issue of the pandemic. We have, we have uh, a shortage of supplies. So I think the governor was maybe taking all of that into consideration, even though he also mentioned that this person definitely should be punished, but maybe that punishment was a bit unfair. And also we have to take into consideration all of the other people who have been sentenced under these unfair, which I believe archaic state statutes that didn't have this national outcry, that, don't, that didn't have 5 million petitions signed and reality stars coming out in favor of reducing their sentences. So I think it's a, a bigger, broader issue that's gonna be, um, really played out in the public, not just uh, in, in our, our political elections. Uh, Patty, I have to admit, as we've been talking about maybe predictions we had wrong very quickly in our show, I did not have on my 2022 bingo card Kim Kardashian talking about prison reform or sentencing reform in Colorado. That, that was not on my card. A lot of different uh, angles to this one, but especially the timing. Uh, your thoughts and what you've heard. Well, to play off what Bianca said, people have forgotten just because we've had so much news since then, just how big a story this was. The hue and cry was incredible. It was, you know, our website was flooded with comments about this. And the rule, the um, resentencing hearing had just been announced maybe two hours before the shootings on December 27th. So all of a sudden, the biggest, biggest issue in Colorado and around the country, the only way people were thinking about Colorado suddenly disappeared. But in the meantime, clearly Polis had already set the wheels in motion to consider this himself. Why he didn't talk to the judge, I don't know. But that that was a mistake. I think actually his his theory, which he said, is that, you know, just get it over with fast. The original 110-year sentence wasn't fair. He said he studied it. Ten years looked like the fair amount. I don't have a problem with him having said, I'm going to... We're going to put it at 10 years. He did several other actions that same day. 1,300 people who were had been convicted um, with felonies for having two ounces of pot, he, he gave them clemency. There were some other people who had other issues that were taken into account. This is what the governors do at the end of the year. So I think he did it at the right time. He just did it the wrong way. We talked about it a few times already, but the investigation continues into the murder of five people killed in a targeted shooting spree in Denver and Lakewood last week. The Denver Police Department is under some scrutiny after it was discovered that it was made aware of threats made by the gunman many months ago. According to Denver Police Chief Paul Pazin, the shooter was under two investigations, but neither of them provided enough grounds for charges. Elena, we start with you on this one. You have cross jurisdictions. Uh, you have, uh, you know, First Amendment issues. There's a whole lot here. Um, and on any other week, this is something that leads the headlines that we're all talking about for a long time. And right now it's been, well, just in this show, it's already on topic three. Uh, what are some of the main things that you've heard so far about this issue impacting Denver and Lakewood? Yeah, I think first and foremost, 
it's safe to say this isn't a great look for the Denver Police Department, especially considering this horrific rampage caps a uh, year of 96 homicides in Denver, which is the most the city has recorded in at least three decades. Um, you know, the good news is that we have the Lakewood heroic, hero uh, police agent, uh, Ashley Ferris, who was shot in the stomach before she shot and killed the gunman, um, who was released yesterday from the hospital and is expected to make a full recovery. So that's great. Um, but I think the big picture here is that crime continues to soar uh, to unprecedented levels here in Colorado uh, to no avail. And the problem is becoming a major political point, um, particularly among conservatives who are using these very grim statistics to pad their platforms um, in the upcoming election. I think the tragedy also highlights the importance of addressing mental health issues. Um, the gunman's family, who had been estranged uh, from him for several years, uh, suggested he had mental illness that was never properly treated. And so I think, you know, the bottom line is that until we get to the root of these problems, it's fair to wonder whether we'll ever see real relief here. Bianca, as the investigation continues, what are your thoughts from what we know so far? You know what? Honestly, I'm just concerned that the police department said that they could not find a Denver address after they were notified over, I think it was two years ago, uh, a year to two years ago from um, an informant or someone that was familiar with the individual's um, activities. Not only was, this, was the Denver Police Department notified, the FBI was notified, the U.S. Embassy in Germany was notified. So to suggest that there was no way to connect this individual to a Denver address, if all these agencies were working together, then maybe this could have been uh, prevented. And of course, I'm just going to say gun control, gun control, gun control, because that's what we need. But uh, we need to pass a comprehensive gun control legislation. But I think, too, that our, our agencies need to be, be more proactive. We have so much resources these days that we have to, I don't know how many more mass shootings that we need before uh, we can get to a place where we're in a, um, a really good place where we can prevent these things from happening. Patty, among the many issues here, you have um, digging into someone's written, uh, you know, is, is it free speech? Are you talking about real people and real threats? Is it not protected? Among all the different investigations and cross jurisdictions, um, what do you take away from what we've heard so far? Well, that only one person actually contacted authorities from this book that many more people had read that was available on the Manosphere that he named um, many of his victims, his ultimate victims, and he named other people like Mitch Morrissey, the former DA of Denver. So that we only had one tipster is even more extraordinary. Supposedly he'd been holed up in the San Luis Valley for the last two years, so maybe they couldn't find him, maybe it wasn't a priority, but what we'll find out. But what is undeniable is the people he targeted are some of the great community creatives. Alicia Cardenas, I mean, what she created at Soul Tribe and in that block on Broadway, it's really tragic, the people he hit. And they're people he hit because he was not a community builder and these people were. So we'll find out more with time, but there is no denying the incredible loss to the community. Krista, there's even the angle with uh, cross-jurisdictions talking to each other and how you even pull off an investigation like this and the timing of who, who knew what when so other cities could react. Uh, uh, that included other issues. What, what do you take away from what we've learned so far? 
Well, even if you could coordinate completely and perfectly between jurisdictions, what do you do with somebody who's evil but has not yet acted on their impulses? Mm-hmm. It's not against the law, nor should it be, to write evil books about killing, um, to have uh, vile thoughts. That's obviously not illegal, nor should it be. Um, even to you know just be a, a bad person, uh, we can't go and just arrest those people. And I think part of us all kind of wish we could, right? Um, but for our own safeguards, for the second, you know, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. And other things that protect good people's rights to write, to think, to talk, to to own a, a, a gun for self-protection, those are protected for good people, and therefore, uh, obviously, evil people ended up uh, protected as well. So, I, it's you know, I, I went to Columbine High School way, way long time ago. It's where I graduated from, and I think ever since then, probably before that, we have been asking ourselves, what do we do with with evil people? who have not yet acted evilly, but who have some signs that they're planning on it. What do you do with those people? Um, I think it's a question that is really, really hard to answer. Let's get a quick take on this last one. As the Omicron variant continues to sweep across the nation and Colorado, COVID infection rates are wreaking havoc on schools and workplaces in our state. While hospitals are currently handling the patient load, workers, teachers, and others either out sick or out on quarantine are forcing school districts and businesses to adjust in new ways. Bianca, we start with you for your quick take, your, your thoughts on this new wave. I am really concerned about our education system and our kids. Um, we already have a divide as it, as it relates to academics and uh, education success. So our children uh, really need to be taken into consideration as it relates to the ability to learn, have, um, having to go back home and go online. There was a little boy in Chicago. He was asked, how do you feel about going back online? He said, I don't like it. He said, why? He said, because I don't understand. And so we have to we have to take into considera- consideration how our children are learning and take into consideration our our teachers who are out sick, our teachers who are leaving the job. Um, we have to go back to the drawing board and include parents and educators um, in these conversations and these decisions. Patty, your uh, quick take on the continuation of our COVID crisis. Well, that we're looking at going into this for a third year. Be sure you stock up on masks, tests, and patients. Be patient with each other. <laughs> Krista, we go to you next. Uh, it's it, Fortunately, we're not seeing the, the load at hospitals like we did before, but um, just people out, out sick, the staffing shortages. Which I think that, read something at DIA that the, the people that refueled the planes had a staffing issue. So... Um, what, what do we think when we're hearing these statistics? Well, you know, we've predicted this, that this would happen. It's actually, in some ways, a good thing. We've gone from a difficult to spread or more difficult to spread, but more lethal uh, variant to one that is more easily spread, but also uh, a lot less a lot less lethal, thank goodness. I think what we're going to see is, it, as it becomes uh, more endemic, we're going to end up with more of a flu-like situation where people get this Maybe once a year you get vaccinated. Uh, I've been vaccinated and boosted so that you don't get a really bad case of it. But it's something that I think has become the part of a fabric of our lives. We need to accept that. I know I'd be much more willing to sub because, believe it or not, I like to substitute teach if I didn't have to wear a mask because it makes it a whole lot more difficult to connect with those kids. So let's be reasonable. Vaccinate. But let's question some of these mask mandates. They actually do more harm than good. And we, uh, Elena, we go to you to wrap it up. What are your thoughts? 
Hearing from public health officials, it, it seems like this is our new normal. I hate to say it, but you know, um, this means that our state's monitoring approach will become less vigilant, essentially mirror tracking for things like the flu and other like routine respiratory diseases. Um, so, you know, as Omicron cases continue to be less severe than uh, the Delta variant and the original Omicron, or sorry, the original COVID uh, strain. Health officials say that 2022 is going to mark the transition from a pandemic year to an endemic year. Let's get to our favorite part of the show uh, rather quickly, our favorite, uh, disgrace of the week. Uh, Patty, as always, please start us off. The long-running saga of Beta Nightclub may be coming to an end after a New Year's Day shooting at the Nextra Club owned by the same man. It left two people dead. Now the liquor license has been pulled from Beta, may never reopen. But in the meantime... That owner now has rented El Chapultepec. What is happening there? Hello, owners of El Chapultepec's building. Let us know. Krista, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. You know, I think some politicians and some members of the press were really milking yesterday. I mean, obviously what happened a year ago was atrocious and that stupid conspiracy theory and, and an awful ex-president Trump. Uh, it's, it's a problem. It's something that needed to be commemorated. But I think some people milked it a little too much. And I don't recall them being that outraged during the 2020 riots that cost 25 lives and about a half a billion dollars in damage. Mm. Elena, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. As a big breakfast lover, I've got to give this up to the death of the Breakfast King Diner in Denver, which struck yet another blow to the city's dying diner scene. Um, so I'm depressed and hungry. <laughs> Bianca, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Um, my disgrace is the fact that we had to recognize a one-year uh, anniversary on the attack on our democracy because thugs decided to storm the Capitol. To prevent democracy from happening as an American, I'm just completely embarrassed. Time to say something nice. Bumper sticker edition. Patty. The stock show parade was canceled by cold, but the stock show is back in town. Krista, you're say something nice. Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming for having the guts to call out both Trump and the stupid conspiracy theory that, the, uh, that, that somehow Trump won the election. Elena, what's your say something nice? More than $25 million has been raised for the victims of the Marshall Fire within just days, and that just shows the incredible uh, generosity that Coloradans are capable of. Bianca, what's your say something nice? Well, speedy recovery to police agent Ashley Ferris. She's a hometown, hometown hero. And I want to leave you with a very important reminder about a key partnership with PBS 12. The Martin Luther King Jr. Business Awards are happening next Friday. The event is still on. If you're looking for more information or for tickets, please feel free to go to mlkbusinessawards.org. We'll be excited to share the stories of the seven winners in our community on Martin Luther King's holiday on the 17th here on PBS 12. But again, that's mlkbusinessawards.org if you're interested in more information or for tickets to the event. For everybody here at Colorado Inside Out and PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.